My Alaskan Adventure by Brian Keenan. A midnight dog sleigh ride transported me to another world. Well, what did you think of your first sleigh ride? asked Dan. He was a dog musher I'd been introduced to, and he and his two dozen dogs lived in the wilderness not far from Fairbanks, Alaska's second city. We'd just been out for an exhilarating ride, and Dan had even let me have a go at driving on the way back. Wee buns, I said. Then, noticing Dan's puzzled expression at my Northern Irish slang, I translated, piece of cake. I could not resist adding, I really enjoyed that, but I reckon I could do it blindfolded. I thought Dan would enjoy my cool hand Luke approach, but his response stunned me. With a throwaway smile, he said dryly, you've got a deal. There were still a few hours of nightlight left. According to Dan, it was the best time to see the landscape. No snow glare from the sun and the moon lights up the place in its own peculiar way. As he continued to hitch up the two dog teams, six in mine and eight in his, he reminded me of the basic principles of mushing, leaning against the turns and using my foot as a brake. You have no ballast on board, which makes the sleigh very light, so you're going to have to create your own traction. You're travelling over the snow, not through it. Dan manoeuvred his team in front of my sleigh and was about to set off when I called out, How do you get them to turn? G for the right and whore to turn left, that's all you need to know. But call it out clearly and repeat it until the lead dog begins to turn. Following Dan's example, I ran the first few metres before jumping on board and holding tight to the sleigh rail. With Ben as lead dog, the animals barked and snapped to assert their position. At first we were gliding easily over the snowy tundra, but when Dan increased the pace, the terrain was rougher and filled with sudden crevices then short but steep slopes. The dogs were in their element and charged on regardless. I was master of nothing. No part of me was connected to the animal engine that was driving us. My hands held me to the sleigh, but that's all they did. I had no steering wheel to direct our passage, nor clutch, gearbox or accelerator to control the speed. I had nothing not even a pair of reins to connect me and give me power over the creatures that were now charging ahead at breakneck speed. Dan raced on heedlessly, his body as fluid as hot gelatin. I was dreading the growing distance between us, and my team seemed anxious yet encouraged by it. The sleigh bucked and leaped into the air, banging back into the land and causing my dogs to strain and snarl at my incompetence. I had not forgotten to use my foot as a brake, or about the necessity to lean, creating traction on turns, but the terrain was too rough and the obstacles came at me too suddenly. All I could do was hold on and hope. Within the space of a few kilometres I was bundled into the snow several times. Every time I took a spill my team barked and yelped, as if they were a team of hyenas thrilled by my comic performance. It was a clear signal to Dan to come back and wait for me. Do this blindfolded, can you? he asked with gleeful sarcasm after my fourth tumble. I picked myself up and dusted off the snow. He suggested that if I could persevere for another few kilometres, we would then travel down a snow-covered riverbed that would be a lot easier to ride on. Otherwise, we could double up on his sleigh, towing my sleigh behind. 
Defeat at this stage was too devastating to contemplate. No, I stated. It doesn't hurt much, even if my ego does. Okay, said Dan, and we were off again without another word. The snow-covered riverbed was a dream to travel down. My sleigh could have been a canoe. Now I could gee and haw and my dogs were happy to oblige. I watched them charge ahead joyously. I wanted to think that maybe they had accepted me, or at least wanted to give me a second chance. Dan was right about the moonlight on virgin snow. It adds a lunar luminescence to the lift and fold of the land. In a way, it had all the pristine quiet of an old Japanese print in black and white. Behind all the intimate softness was that immense sky, just beginning to colour up with approaching night. I heard Dan call me. Obviously, he wanted me to stop, but he had not given me the word for this command. I let the dogs drift, desperately trying to think what the word might be. Then suddenly I said, Easy, Ben. Easy, boy. Slow up there. The sleigh began to slow, allowing Dan to overtake and stop in front of us. It should get just a little darker very soon. We'll want to get down across the lake by then. Stick behind me from now on. I wasn't sure exactly when we reached the lake, but as the low banks of land defining the valley seemed to get further and further apart, I sensed we must be near. In front stretched a great white plain with a phosphorescent quality about it. Dan stopped and began checking the harness. We are probably on the outer edge of the lake now. It's hard to tell. The wind keeps shifting the snow. The dogs know and sometimes it spooks them a bit. I don't remember being so suddenly terrified in my life. You mean we are on the lake already? Oh yes, said Dan. In the summer there will be ten metres or more of water below where you are standing. Somewhere an inner voice was screaming that summer was almost here. Dread spilled into my head faster than I could control it. I couldn't swim. What if I went through the ice with the sleigh and the dogs? I could already envisage the scene in horrifying slow motion. Stick close now, Dan demanded as we moved off. The basin of the frozen lake seemed to enclose the silence and draw everything into itself. Only the noise of the dogs padding across the dry white snow and their panting could be heard. My fears of drowning were being replaced by something softer, something childlike. I was thinking of a warm, soapy bath and hot milk. The pleasure was intoxicating. Suddenly, Dan shouted and waved both his arms in the air. Look up, look up, he was calling as his team came to a stop. So I looked up, like a man who has just woken up in a strange room, not sure where he is or how he got there. Above me, the heavens were opening up in a luscious harmony of colour and form, like a sensuous curtain blowing in the breeze. I could almost feel the texture of it on my face. It was the Aurora Borealis, the famous Northern Lights. At first it was a distant glow on the horizon that ringed the lake bowl. It was like being out at sea and seeing the echo of light from three or four different lighthouses fusing in the sky. Greens, blues, yellows, ambers, oranges and purples, like a rainbow in a melting pot before it has stretched into its glorious arc. Quietly, my team came to a halt and laid themselves on the snow. They seemed to know instinctively how to worship and receive what I could only stand and gape at, half afraid and half amazed. 
The aurora got bigger as I watched, transfixed. It seemed to come towards us with inconceivable momentum. Yet there was nowhere to run to and nowhere to hide on the white expanse of this frozen lake. It was as if the universe were a mass of coloured cells, merging and differentiating, growing and multiplying. I got off my sleigh and walked the short distance to where Dan stood, drinking in the wonder. I didn't want to speak to him, nor he to me, but I wanted the comfort of another human being to share and be witness to this seduction. If I had been initially a little frightened by our escapade on the ice, I was immune to such fear now, though the hair was standing on the back of my neck for different reasons. Had the ice opened up beneath me that very moment, I would have felt nothing, for I had already been lifted up into that mysterious, ineffable miracle that was happening in the skies around us. I'm not sure how long the journey back to Dan's cabin took. I know that I braked in and out of turns and rolled up and down gullies and crevices with the luxurious ease of Rudolf Nureyev. I really don't know how, for my eyes were fixed on the skies. Above me, the celestial orchestra continued to play, and I danced all the way home. I had been away only six or seven hours in all, yet I felt I had been away for years. On the lake, I had been snapped up out of time and had entered another world outside time. For more RD Talks, visit readersdigest.com.au. Brought to you by Reader's Digest Australia. Narration by Zoe Mernier. Sound production by Ricky Price.